Kia ora, this is Alex, the manager at Salient Podcast and producer of How to Lose a Girl in 10 Days. I just wanted to give you a quick heads up before this amazing conversation about transportation that the audio quality is a little rough on this episode due to a technical fault in the studio, but next week we'll get that quality right back to you. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to How to Lose a Girl in 10 Days the podcast where we talk about the opinions of old people and young people from fair wages, carbon zero, sheen halls, and everything else in between. Shout everybody and welcome back to Happens Girl in 10 Days. My name is Holly. And I'm Sandy. And today we're going to be talking about public transport. Public transport. Everybody loves public transport. You all keep asking us to talk about it, so now I feel obliged. Boy, take it, I guess. Here you go. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about what public transport looks like at the moment in New Zealand, then we're going to talk about what different parties think about it, kind of generally, um, and then we're going to go over what kind of works in other countries and some ideas and theories behind what makes good public transport or what we should be doing as a country. Yes, and we're going to finish it all off with basically just a, what are possibilities for New Zealand public transport and how we can improve it. Yes, we'll see how that goes. Anyways, so getting right into it, what does public transport look like in the moment in New Zealand? So in Wellington, we have Metlink, right? I was under the impression that that was like, like own, partly owned, such operated by the council, but that doesn't seem to actually be the case. Yeah, it is technically true. It's sort of a more complicated than that. Mm. Wellington, I believe most of the other cities in New Zealand also follow the similar model, mm. has a system where Metlink is owned, operated by the council. And they're in charge of the transport, so like ferries, buses, trains, not the cable car, but like everything else. Mm. And basically, their job is to make sure that all public transport happens. Mm. And as part of their job, they outsource the op- and the actual operations of the public transport. So like the buses, you know, although the bus network is operated by Metlink, the actual buses are run by a separate company, like mm. private companies. And the same with trains. So I think the theories are as well. I'm not sure yeah, about no, that. I, I, I think they are. So basically what that looks like is the councils take your fare, like when you go on the bus or the train, they collect that fare money and then they just pay like a flat fee or I don't know, some amount of money to private companies to run that kind of infrastructure for them. Yeah, I think they pay a fee. For, like, they, they pay the company for every bus that travels for, like on the day. Like right, right. it's some sort of set fee that they pay every year. So one of some of the struggles that we have at the moment in public transport, I think the main one is just like, if we try to get a bus from anywhere, they just don't exist. Like it'll be like bus due, no bus ever shows up. <laughs> it's like cancelled, just like <laughs> no notice. Yeah. I mean, the major issue there is basically a lack of drivers. Because mm. I remember reading somewhere that because of sickness at any given time, they only had about 75% of the needed drivers for any given day. Which is obviously not ideal. This is true because because they've started trying to like recruit university students to be bus drivers. I keep getting ads like part time study, part time bus driver. I know it seems really enticing. I think it's pretty good actually. I think it is. Well, because the council they have to pay at least living wage. Well, right? it's not the council who's paying them because it's in the bus while they're right. in transit. It's one of the private companies that runs the bus networks. Sorry. Anyway. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah, but I think recently the council has managed to get a bunch of visas for. A bunch of Filipino bus drivers that come in from the Philippines. Oh, oh actually, maybe they went Saudi Arabia originally. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> but they're Filipinos coming from somewhere. Right. And the idea is, is that they will work on the buses in Wellington and that should help free up a little bit of capacity and make sure the buses are going because we have the buses, we just don't have the drivers. Yeah. Yeah. So the major pros with the system we currently have is basically just that it's cheaper. Well, mm. 
supposedly cheaper. Because the basic idea is that private companies will bid against each other so like to, to get to get the contract and the lowest price with some, you know, obviously, but roughly the lowest price will usually get the contract. Yeah. So it's the private company that can run the service for the cheapest, which means that theoretically your fares will be lower. Well, not the, your fares, but the council's the amount of money the council's spending. Because the thing about the bus network and the public transport is that it doesn't make money for the council. Like it costs the council money to operate. Yeah, that makes even sense. when you even when you've got your fares, and like that's completely fair. So basically, it just means it's going to cost like us as ratepayers slightly less money. Oh, okay. Right. So the idea is to lower the cost. It will save you money in some respect. If it's not your fares, you'll save money. In yeah. Well, maybe they'll put more money in the libraries and other stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All goods and services. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So basically, that, that's the, that's the, the inherent benefit, and it's just to try and make public transport more efficient, and that's the rationale. There are some issues with this model, but the major one is just that it's not most flexible. Yeah. Because we recently, I, I say recently, it was put in like before COVID, so ages and ages ago. But like we, like yes, like yes. But before COVID, we changed the whole bus network, mm. and that went terribly if anyone recalls. And buses were always cancelled. They were showing up late. They never arrived. There was a whole host of issues. And the entire bus network was overhauled. Yeah. But it was really hard for the council because a lot of the new bus routes they put in weren't actually, well... As good well, as they thought. As good as they thought they would be. But because they had signed a contract for a private company to operate that route, they had to find an alternative route that was the exact same distance because that tariff they were contractually obliged or like shorter. Yeah. So it, it did sort of put them in a straitjacket for a while. Yeah, just because you can't do anything once you've signed a contract. Yeah, I mean, you can, but it's just a bit messy. <laughs> it's more difficult than it's worth to change it. Yeah. So, and yeah, so it just means that it's not like, well, because they can't adjust bus routes that easily because drivers like have to go a certain way or buses have to go on a certain route so then you can like account for all the costs involved or whatever um, kind of thing, which is just a big issue because it just means that like if you have people expanding outwards or if you just or if you realize that like, oh, we actually haven't accounted for a bus route that we actually think is probably quite important, it's really hard to like adjust those things. Well, I think it's easier to add a new bus route than it is to change an existing one. Yes. Yeah. We've got to them like, hey, it's actually, we want another bus route, we're going to pay you more, can you do that? And like, well, I mean, more money. But then, but then you just, like, go into issues of, like, you need to physically buy another bus and you actually just, like, physically need more drivers to add on another one, you know? This is true. Theoretically, it's easier if you were able to change, I don't know, the Miramar bus route to go to a different street, you know, if there was demand for that. But they just can't do that, so it just costs them more money when they do have to adapt. Yeah. So it's not ideal in some respects, but it does supposedly make it the whole thing cheaper. Yeah, so that's kind of what we're looking at the moment. So, um, Also, additionally, a lot of you have been asking about this, but the half-price fares. Oh, yeah. Right, so I think a lot of you have noticed that at least, has it been for like almost a year now? Yeah, I think so. And it's been close to a year now. We've had basically half-price fares in public transport, which I'm loving because I catch the bus everywhere. Oh, true. Unfortunately, the Kerlika doesn't go like, have the half-price fares. Oh, then disappointing. You can walk out the Paris. You'll live. No, I, 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 it's, it's me. You should see me get into work every morning. I, I literally do a 700 meter sprint to the Kerwick out of the morning. Oh my God. Get the Kerwick out, hit the glass. That's so funny. But, um, but yeah, so we've got half price fares at the moment. People, I think students just generally like that. It makes our lives nicer and easier. It's cheaper to get to places we want to go. Overall good. That was put in by labor for the cost of living crisis that we're experiencing currently as well, like because of COVID. Yeah. Um, and the basic way it works is mm-hmm. that the council is being paid half your fare by the government. So every time you tag on, the government will double whatever you're paying, basically. Yeah. That's roughly how it works. So then the private company still get Yeah. That. So I mean, no, the private companies 
get, given the regards to you. Yeah, exactly. Going up. The council's basically just receiving the same amount of money they would if they were paying full price first. Yeah. So they can still spend the same amount of money on stuff like infrastructure or like, other, like the pipes or yeah. stuff like that. So then we're not sacrificing our waterways, which are arguably already sacrificed, but that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, we'll get in the free water shop. <laughs> but yeah, so basically that's like the major thing. And I think as, as students, we can see a lot of pros on that, being able to get places cheaper. Yeah. The major con, obviously, is just that it's costing the government a lot of money. Like, a lot of money. So, now we'll move on to, like, what different parties think about it. So, I think that there hasn't been a lot of explicit transport infrastructure, like, policy released by parties just because I think like we have different priorities at the moment so it's really not a focus but like historically we can kind of see what they focus on and we can see you know just based on other policies what they probably are likely to do in regards to transport so starting with national their whole gig well well, the whole gig it's kind of into a bit of a meme it's just like they love roads so they're really like anti-cycle way and very pro fixing at-risk roads it's roads that have like I don't know if they're like too narrow or have like potholes or are like deemed unsafe or need resurfacing and those kinds of things. So they want to spend transport infrastructure money on fixing roads for people. Um, I think it kind of like happens mostly in like rural areas because urban roads are fairly like well maintained anyways. They're also really big on the whole idea of one more one more lane. One more lane. One more lane. Triple one lanes. more tunnel. And to mention Gully. <laughs> the triple lane. It was so yeah. I drove down there for the first time while ago and i was like three lanes this is an experience i've never had before i love transition gully right into that final hill where like you're like if my brakes fell here i'm done anyways moving on um yeah so so national probably like i think that they still like public transport and probably won't like just revoke funding for it i think that's something they're likely to continue but um it does look like cutting funding um, or like restricting the amount that that councils can spend on like cycleways or like um, or at least not money the government provides. Yeah, yeah, like the money that government currently provides councils for transport will probably be like like limited or restricted in some way. Like I know that Tory Fano, the mayor of uh, um, of Wellington, kind of did a statement and came out and said she's worried about if Neffel gets in government because she doesn't want Simeon Brown, who's a transport spokesperson, to like slash the funding for cycleways, because that'd be a really good thing, which we'll talk about um later. So that's that's kind of what's likely to happen. Then they'll prioritize the roads. Um because see theoretically people people really like roads. People like, I don't know, democratically have just chosen to like use the roads. Okay, but like I feel like that is not necessarily it's not like a it, it's kind of like a mischaracterization yeah, like if, because if they just had better public transport you would have people choosing to use the public transport they like it's just currently not that good so people will just choose cars over there it's like if i were to underfund roads for like decades and like everywhere has potholes galore and nobody and drives and they're like well people clearly don't want to drive anywhere <laughs> literally so it's like kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way um anyways so so that's kind of their main focus um, on Labour, their big thing obviously was half price fares. So they're like fairly pro public transport. They funded like a lot of cycle lanes in Wellington. I think I don't know if it's in Auckland. I'm not up there a lot, but definitely in Wellington, they've been putting in a lot of cycle lanes. They were originally big funding, <laughs> like big funders of the Auckland like rail project. Mm-hmm. But Chris Hopkins has recently basically put that on the back burner. Yeah, I think. They initially spent a lot of money on like transport infrastructure under Jacinda, and then now Chippy's kind of commander. 
And I think he just, like, as I said, I think he just has different priorities and things that are more likely to get him elected. So he's kind of ditching all of the infrastructure. So they're not super hardline on anything. They're just like, I don't know, a little bit more pragmatic. I guess they're supportive of public transport, but they aren't going to put a lot more money towards it. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of just like happy with the status quo, I suppose. Now, moving back to the other side of the spectrum, we've got ACT. We've got ACT. I can't find a specific policy or take on their website, really. Um, Just the transport spokesperson for ACT just has released so many publications that are so anti-cycle lanes. So I think it's safe to assume that they don't like cycle lanes. They're like, Labour spent five times the amount of money on cycle lanes as they would have spent on roads or something like that. Yeah, I feel like that's not accurate. For the government, I, I, I don't agree on that. It might be. We don't We don't know. Yeah, I mean... The I guess the major thing about ACT is like the one major statement they made on like public transport recently is just they're vehemently opposed to half price fares. Yeah. They're very much opposed to the idea of the just because it costs the government money. Uh, that's the only reason. Um and I think their argument for it is that people who are catching public transport with the half price fares are even doing it. So you're not incentivizing public transport, yes. I yeah. feel like it was sort of missing the point of the whole idea. I, yeah, I think I think it's definitely missing the point of the whole idea. Social welfare happened out of her. <laughs> Um, okay, and then we get on to green, swinging far back to the other side. Um, they are just very pro good public transport. They want to invest a lot of money in it. They are very pro light rail. They're massively supportive of the Auckland light rail scheme. They want it to be done fast. They want to have that be a major focus because they think that that will you know solve a lot of transport issues. Um, congestion that you currently have in Auckland because I don't know if any of you have sent Auckland traffic, but that's not most. It's not vibe. <laughs> But it's also not that fun to walking around Auckland. True. They're just trying to do both. Well, no, but that, that, that's something making trains. You don't have to walk anywhere and you can get the scenic views of Auckland CBD. Have you ever been on light rail before? I've not. Oh, it's so much fun. I don't... Do you know what I'm pretty pro? Tram. I don't know if it's like a similar thing, but I'm to them. The trams, that was so much fun. I had such a great time. You're looking at me as if that was a bad thing to do. No, no, no. This is, this is my popular opinion, but I'm pretty confident that light rail is just like a modern rebranding of the word tram. Oh, really? They're like, oh, trams are outdated, so we're going to call it light rail instead and bring them back. If anyone listening to me is a really big tram or light rail enthusiast and wants to prove me wrong, like, feel free. But as far as I I understand it, right, they both have rails on the road and they both basically operate like trains. The modern day train. I don't know. Well, anyways, trams slash light rail... That's Greens are really pro that there. They just believe strongly in funding transport heavily, cycleways, all of that kind of thing as well. Is it my imagination? Do they also support light rail in Wellington? What does all they do? Yeah, they support light rail, light rail in Wellington um, as well. And then there is Tipati Māori, but I I cannot find anything, any like statement they've released about transport at all. The only indication that they have is that they have pretty strong climate change policy, so I would probably assume that they're pretty pro-funding public transport on the back of that as well. Um, just because if you have strong climate change policy, you're probably likely to support less road, like, less cars on roads, more people in electric buses. Um, but yeah, not a strong indication there of what they stand for. Probably they don't really have... It's, it's, not, it's not a big policy. Yeah, no. They're not a big as, as I said, transport is not like a super big priority for anybody at the moment except the Greens. Yeah. The Greens are really pushing transport and nobody else is having many thoughts about it at all, really. Well, to be fair, the Greens are still almost a single issue party when it comes to climate change. Yeah, this is true. And the light relative is part of that, yeah. I suppose. So...
move on to what's worked in other countries, what other countries look like, why they're good, why they're bad, what can we learn from them? <laughs> so there are some, let's say, horror stories when it comes to public transport out there. Let's sign up with those first instead of the good ones, right? And the most obvious example is the US. So mm. what the US did was, which I know it's always been like this, the rails in the US, the rail network, and I think most of the train, like the buses and stuff, they're all privatized. Mm. And here's a fun fact for you. It takes as long to get from New York City to Washington, D.C. by train nowadays as it did back in the 1920s. Oh, damn. That's not good. So basically, they've got historic underdressed in the roads, like in like trains. And if you live in the States, you'd have to drive everywhere. You were saying it's really just a demonstration of all the worst parts of capitalism. There's some good parts. I, I... No, 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 there are, there are. But I think that if you're going to point to a country about like capitalism has failed, I think you would point to the U.S. I feel like there were better examples of that. <laughs> Maybe. Like, maybe in, like, Latin America, but, like, had a lot of spectators. Yeah, but that was installed by the US as well, you forget, so... Okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I feel, I'm, I'm an American, I'm being attacked. <laughs> American. But, yeah, so, like, they're an example of a country that hasn't really put a lot of investment into public transport, and that, as a result, has sort of developed into a country where you have to have a car to go anywhere, right? And, obviously, that's really bad for the drama. But on the other side of the spectrum, like you have countries in Europe, which Holly was going to talk all about because she was in Europe just recently. I was. I'm just. I. I just think that in Europe they have the whole um, subway going on, the underground rail system. It's so efficient. It's so fast. I was in Paris and there's literally like a train every four minutes, like clockwork. So you can just like if you're if you're there for under five minutes, you will just like guaranteed to be able to catch a train absolutely insane i can get anywhere so fast and they don't like experience traffic issues like buses and that kind of thing i just really like that it was good also the trams in amsterdam as i said were really good i think they just have the right of way on roads so they also just don't experience traffic issues um i think just the only thing to say about that is just for new zealand when you're thinking about that for new zealand it's probably just really expensive to put in i mean that's true but like the trams were put in amsterdam like a long time ago in Amsterdam, like, mm. like we're richer than like today than Amsterdam was way back then. Oh, like, yeah, I guess sure. No, I think I think trams are definitely more doable, or like light rail, like you yeah. said. But I don't know. I just I just feel like digging a tunnel underneath the whole city and having a whole network of tunnels and then putting train lines in them and then having underground trains that just seems like a lot of admin. I don't know. Well, to be fair, that's partially because they have to do it that way because there's just not enough room on the roads to have a train because they, you know, these cities were built like God knows how long ago. Mm-hmm. At least the, the middle parts. Like, I know Rome is really big on their whole subways. They just use the war tunnels. Well, sheep. No, so, I mean, Rome, actually, Rome, this is, a, this is a nice side tangent, but Rome has a real big issue when it comes to expanding the public transport network. Because yeah. they keep trying, and they, they, they have a subway network because their roads are too, like, are really narrow. Mm. And, like, a lot of them are one way, so they can't obviously put a train down them. So they have a big subway network. Every time they build in a certain direction, they keep finding new historic ruins. Because they just build, like, they just keep building on top of other buildings. It's a fantastic fact. So they, like, they, they, they can't put a, they can't keep drilling in that direction to find a different direction. It's really endlessly expensive in Rome. That's really fine. But yeah, the other major example of a country that's invested heavily in public transport is China. Mm. Since, it's like, 20 years now, they've been investing really heavily in high-speed rail. Mm. And it's, they're now the largest and most used high-speed rail network in the world. And I think... Very efficient, apparently. It's... Yeah, like the the trains can basically travel something like two hundred to three hundred fifty kilometers an hour. Bullet train. Yeah, bullet trains. We're talking like high speed rail. 
Um, I think it does look like I'm trying to I'm just trying to figure out how long it takes to get across all of China. Probably, yeah. But like like I think I think the thing I'm thinking about implement like implementation and how China has done that, I think they probably have more wiggle room to spend what money they want on different things because like they're not a democracy. Well, maybe technically they are, but in practice they're not. So the government can just like arbitrarily spend money on things they think are good without input. I think that's the issue we have in New Zealand is just like people are hesitant to spend a bunch of money on public transport just because it is a lot of money and people are just always hesitant to spend large amounts of money on things you know that like we actually don't know how we'll do because we haven't done it before so we don't know if installing the light rail will be super good or super bad we and but, people are just hesitant about that but to, that's why it's sort of good that countries like china can force the way ahead for us because we yeah. can be like well it works for china it's actually been done in cities before in countries before it's yes. been worked it functions we can use it too Indeed. so like basically china in the span of like 20 years now has one of the best rail infrastructure networks in the world mm-hmm. right one of the fastest one of the best i mean it's even better than europe in some places yeah no i think i think um hong kong is ranked like number one um in transport infrastructure in the world like it just has the most effective the most efficient transport infrastructure what can new zealand sort of take away from all this it, so it seems like the determining factor for for cities and countries that are ranked really highly in terms of good public transport or transport infrastructure in general is a single mass transit which is being able to public transport. It just means you have really like a lot of public transport and it's efficient and it's somewhat effective and, and like affordable. So if you can, if you have the capacity to transport a bunch of people from one place to another, that's really, really good. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's sort of like thinking, someone, someone, I was reading somewhere the other day and someone put it in a really interesting perspective, public transport. Is that oftentimes we think that public transport is failing when you see a bus that's half full. Okay, mm. right, where it's like half the bus is empty. But when you think of how many cars those people would need to get around, you're freeing up a lot of room on the road. Mm. But also, like, that's a sign of a good public transport network. Because it's, if every single bus you find is crammed with people, that's really a sign that you don't have enough buses in transit. The whole idea around mass transit, it's basically that it is always coming. Like, you, you always have another bus and it's like coming through and always mm. through the train. Like, you sort of what you're talking about, like, the train's coming out every five minutes. Yeah, or, right. That's right. And the whole idea behind it is it's actually a really good thing to see buses or trains that are half full. Yeah. Right. Because if they're packed to the bone, like if, if you there's only standing room, not even standing room in these buses, it's an indication that you don't actually have enough public transport going. Because there's enough demand for it, but there's not enough on buses. Yeah, yeah. So basically the idea behind it is that really good transport cities, like cities with really good transport infrastructure, just have constant public transport coming and make it really easy for you to get places but having to use a car. And the reason obviously why it's important is that it means you've got less cars in the city and it means like rush hour is not as awful. Yeah. Because we've all tried to get across the city in the middle of rush hour and it takes way longer than we anticipated. Yeah. Um, but also on top of that, not even just public transport, but a bunch of um organizations like the World Economics Forum, I think. Um, they just recommend like electric public transport as a really good investment for sustainability. And if and if like cities are looking to be effective and sustainable in their transport infrastructure, they should prioritize the cycle lanes. Shout out to Wellington City Council for all of their cycle lane work. But um, but that, and then also just like um, pedestrian-friendly sites. So it kind of looks like in Wellington, like Cuba Mall, or I don't know, like potentially the proposed Golden Mile. Um, just things that where people can walk around the city really in effective land and it stops, you know, congestion with traffic or having to cross roads. So that's kind of the main thoughts about how do we Effective and sustainable. Yeah, that I mean, what we can look towards. I guess, and the other part that we haven't really touched on is just sort of building more and like an interregional rail network. Because mm. we used to have one. We used to have an interregional yeah, rail network, right? Like you, 
Like you can still catch the train to walk and wind up. Mm. Right. But there aren't stops in the middle. There are a few. A few but it, it thinks it costs a lot. It used yeah. to be a lot cheaper. And you spend about all over the country. Mm. But because we haven't invested in it, we've had to cut a lot of that out. So there's been there's a whole been a whole bunch of projects recently just trying to sort of forgive the government to put a lot of money into that to bring it back. Yeah. Because we use all those networks for like freight trains anyway. Um right. and there's there's a good argument to do that just because and this is a really interesting fact. It turns out that depending on how fast the trains go, it's actually faster to catch a train, like a normal, like a regular train. Um, if you're going to a distance you'll run something like three hundred kilometers to miss to catch a plane. Because you've just been so long at security if you're catching into planes. Like typically on that spot, you, you know, you go to the airport half an hour beforehand, you spend fifteen minutes in a queue, you get out of the, your plane, you have to go for security again, you've got to wait for your bag. Like you are always waiting. Well you only arrive at airports half an hour before the plane late. Well you yeah. I arrive there significantly early. Exactly. <laughs> that, 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 that proves it even more. Yeah, like, no. Basically, like catching a train and off can oftentimes be faster mm. to get to some destination, especially when you have high speed rail. But um anyway, that's sort of like enough about what New Zealand can do. I sort of leave you with this sort of conceptualization that's sort of gained popularity overseas. Mm. It's only there of a 15 minute city. And the basic idea of it is that you should be able to get to um, using public transport, walking or cycling, be able to get to roughly all the important public amenities you need to get to, like library, supermarket, like maybe swimming pool, sports stadium, all that sort of stuff within 15 minutes. So the basic idea is it just it's a way of planning out a city and planning public transport to be like, how do we make it as efficient as possible to get you from place A to place B? Yeah. And it's starting to gain traction overseas with the way they built with them building new cities being built around this idea, but also they're trying to revamp public transport networks to sort of incorporate into these elements. Yeah. Right. To basically mean that like let's say you like you live in Calum, right? I do. And you live in Calum. Basically it's saying like, okay, so we want to make sure it's 15 minutes to get to the library, the supermarket in Calvin, like all those other areas. Yeah, that's good. As you can tell, I need a big fan of 15 minutes. Oh yeah. It's, there's a lot of constructive variants about it online. I think it's a, it, but it, it is a good idea. It's basically just being like, how do we make sure you can get around a city without needing a car? That's good. We just aim to go there. As it is right now, oftentimes you do need a car to get around a city. And that's, you know, an unfortunate truth. But the idea is, is how do we rethink our studies to so organize that. Basically looking forward, anything about really good public transport, effective and cheap public transport. But also <laughs> like the way we all, like the way the routes, well, the routes are yeah. really important. The routes that are organized around people being able to access really easy services because it's just, it makes us societies better. Yeah. So yeah, I guess the major takeaway from that is public transport's good. Public transport is great. And we're possible, I think we should invest more in that. Indeed, indeed. I hope that was somewhat useful. There's a lot of a lot of chat, but you know, hopefully you learned something new about what we can draw from, from overseas and stuff like that. Um, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.